Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society, we're new in box. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. We've got a good show for you today. We are going to be talking about the news from the week, including the return of Nintendo Treehouse Live. And then on Thursday, we're going to be ranking the worlds from Donkey Kong Country. But Mark, in the meantime, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. You know how um, recently there have been there were like fireworks being set off every night, and then the 4th of July happened... And I don't yes. know what it's like around where you're, where you are, Patrick. But like, all of that stopped. Um. So it 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 mostly stopped by us as well. Um. On Sunday or Saturday night, I did see one firework launch <laughs> into the sky, explode brilliantly outside my window, lighting up everything in a way that is, you know, it's it's normally like, uh, you just hear like. Pfft! Um, and see like one little streak through the air, but this was like someone framed it up in my window perfectly. <laughs> And that was it. It was the one firework, and that was that was the whole weekend. Yeah, this afternoon at like probably like three o'clock, there were two like errant fireworks that. Well, I say errant. Clearly, they. I'm assuming they were deliberately engaged, but just like two fireworks. You don't. That, you don't think these were rogue fireworks that decided <laughs> to set themselves off? I mean, I think I think that is a possibility. Um, sure. But uh, yeah, just like two this afternoon, and it was the fact that those went off in the afternoon that I was like, oh yeah, like. There hasn't been this, like, nightly salute to fireworks like there used to be. Well, so here's my theory on that. My theory on that is that all of the fireworks in the city were set off on the 4th of July. <laughs> no more fireworks exist. It feels They've possible. They've been obliterated. Uh, speaking of things that should be obliterated, my copy of Sonic Forces. Would you like to borrow it? You can. It's a game for the Nintendo Switch. It's a little cartridge, a little cart. Um, all you got to do is uh, email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. Gmail and give us a mailing address where we can send it. I put your name on a list. Uh, your I put your name on a list. I put your address on a list. Uh, and then someday I send you my copy. You play it for as long as you want. You send it back. It costs you nothing. It's a perfect program. It will uh, be an active program at some point again in the future. I just don't know when that is. Mark, we got to get uh, like our, our number of new cases down or like deaths or something. <laughs> because as is, I'm not going to the post office. I apologize to no one. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like all of our listeners i do not doubt are wearing masks everywhere they go but yes if you for some reason needed another incentive to wear a mask it is that to get the sonic forces borrowing program a still perfect program um yes. like to be at the stage, I'm trying to think of a way to like. It's not because right now it's not like dead. It's not in stasis. No, 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 no. So no, no. we, but but what we want to do is move it from the stage where it's in Patrick's house to the stage where it's out of Patrick's house. And in order to do that, yes, every like if cases we were have to, to go down. If we were to revise the name of the program at all, it would I would now call it the Sonic Forces pre-borrowing program. <laughs> because right now you're you are really putting your name on a list to be in the pool of pre-borrowers. Yes. And I know this sounds like a scam, <laughs> but I assure you it is not. Um Mark, let, are you ready to get into what we've been playing this week? Yeah, let's do it. So, Mark, as you know, I am a little bit of a um, pick cross fanatic now. Um, so I just went ahead and bought plain old vanilla pick cross or pick cross S for the Nintendo Switch, and I have been playing it. Um, there, it's just a uh, solid pick cross games. No real bells and whistles. Um, there's like 150 uh, puzzles in it, and I'm into the like 100 teens um at this point so wow. i'll be done with it soon um and uh you know i love it it's something i can do to just like melt my brain for a little bit it requires all of my focus but also no real brain power does that make sense <laughs> oh a hundred percent 
and it doesn't stress me out like uh te- like tetris has the the same effect but it's like a high mm-hmm. and then like i i close my eyes and i see falling tetris blocks when i play Picross and i close my eyes i don't see anything <laughs> <laughs> Picross is like being awake but dead oh man the dream <laughs> um more you know, games that simulate death please <laughs> uh i think you and i you know our, our et and elliot like connection continues because i also like i finished the outer worlds and i want to talk about that but um mm. yes so i finished the outer worlds and then i was kind of like looking for a game that just like felt right and i was playing some star wars episode one racer but i wasn't really into it tried to do mario kart wasn't really into it finally was like oh i I should go back and like play a little bit more of murder by numbers and so i turned it back on and i found the thing i'm like super into it right now way more than i was previously and i think for me the big difference is that now I'm playing it in handheld mode, whereas before I was trying to play it on the TV. And for whatever reason, like, the physical distance, like, playing it on the TV, like, the puzzle solving didn't feel very fun. But, like, in handheld mode, that feels, like, right. And, like, I can, like, really get into it because I'm, like, you know, like, in bed. It, It just feels like the more, like, perfect game to be playing in handheld mode. I mean, I will agree that it is the perfect game to be playing in handheld mode. Um, I will also say that it is the perfect game to play on the TV. It is the perfect game. <laughs> it's Picross. Um, so are, are, you, uh, are you still in the first case? Are you in the second case? Are I'd you fin- even in the third case? Where no, so I, I had finished the first case um, b- before I put it down. Um, I'm in the second case right now. And that's the award ceremony? Yeah, that's right. Where you like yeah. meet um, her ex-husband and her mom and like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, it's that's that is a look. They're all good ones, but that's a good one. <laughs> um, I think we both continue to play uh, Ring Fit Adventure. Um, I just did a a session of it this morning. Right now, I am on a um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and once over the weekend mm-hmm. is my schedule with it. Nice. I had my first, my first. Uh, I, I got beat by an enemy today. Oh yeah, it. Uh... It seems like the type of game that that shouldn't happen, and so when it does happen, you're like, "Oh, I guess this makes sense. Like, it's totally possible." I just thought yeah. that like it wouldn't happen for whatever reason. No, it did though. Um, it was because I, I, I mean, I think if if I make a couple smoothies and go back mm-hmm. into it, I'll be fine. But um, you know, I wasn't like failing at the exercises or like choosing bad attacks. I was just it. It is a battle that I think requires you to play it like it's a video game instead of like it's a, you know, Wii Fit. Um, yeah. And I, uh, I was just like, nah. It's it it, it is a, it's such a weird balance because sometimes I'll uh, approach something uh, and there'll be like dialogue or whatever, and I'm like between. It's like in the middle of my workout session, and I'm like why am I wasting what like what am I doing <laughs> like I'm I'm like sweaty and like squeezing this thing to like advanced <laughs> dialogue boxes I'm not reading um it's a it's it's a very strange balance but I'm I'm still really enjoying it yeah I I uh have run up against that myself and I'm I wonder if like they intentionally did it to try to like get you to take a break between sessions or you know between like workouts or yeah. something um the other thing that I think is interesting is one of the options you have in adventure mode is like, uh, you know, you encounter enemies and then you start doing attacks by doing these exercises. And by default, as soon as the enemy is defeated, even if you're like in the middle of a set of like 25 squats or whatever, then that, the exercise just ends. And yeah. there, there's an option in the menu to turn it, uh, to turn that off. So like, even if you defeat an enemy, you would complete the set of 25. And I haven't done that, but I wish I could for individual exercises. Yes. Yes, that sometimes you could say, let me finish this one. Because there are also times, too, where I'm like, oh, let me just do a couple more. Like, let me just do, you know, like one repetition of like Warrior One to finish this guy off. I don't necessarily want to do the whole thing. Um, But then there are also times where like, you know, I'm uh, like uh, planking or doing like the high the high high knees or whatever. And it's like, yeah, just let me finish it. Yeah, like the ones where you're supposed to like, um, I don't even know, but like one has, you do a set of like 10 where you're bending to the left and then one of a set of like 10 when you're bending to the right. It just feels weird to do like the ones to the yes. left and then like not do the ones to the right. I, I just wish I could like 
choose on each individual exercise whether I wanted to continue or not. But I am, yeah. I am still really enjoying yeah. it. Um, oh, great. And then I, I wanted to talk about The Outer World. So I finished it. Please. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. I okay. uh, it, it probably took me about like 35 hours to complete it, um, to complete one playthrough. I did all of the companion side quests. I completed all of their stories, but I'm sure that there are like side missions and parts of like in quests that I didn't take or didn't run into or anything. But I feel like I did a fairly thorough job. Like I think I probably did at least 80% of the game. Um, and I feel like the joy of these games. Like, it really just felt like Fallout to me. Like, it generally just, like, felt yeah. like Fallout. But the joy of these games, I feel like, are not in the main stories. Because to me, the main stories generally always boil down to, like, you have a big kind of, like, evil corporation. And then you have, you know, like, the plucky upstarts. And it's like, who are you going to side with? And that, to me, is just, like, not that interesting. Um, right. It feels like a foregone conclusion. Yeah, exactly. And, but... You know, so the joy of these games is really the side quests. And I thought that, like, a lot of the side quests were really... that I found it rewarding in that way. Like I've said, like, the combat's not very fun. So when you have to do combat, it's not that great. But as you get later into the game, and depending on, like, what skills you're maxing out, like, combat becomes way less important because you're leveled up enough that you can, like, do skill checks and pass through dialogue or hacking or something like that. But it is wild to me that this was... To me, it felt just like a Fallout game, and um, I I really liked it. I again hesitate to recommend the sixty dollars Switch version, but yeah. if you find it on sale, especially on any other platform, um, it's I had a ton of fun with it. Now let me ask you this: Have you um, done? You know, you mentioned that you've been playing some Murder by Numbers in handheld mode. Um, have you taken this into handheld mode at all? Yeah, I was actually. I played a lot of it in handheld mode. I did like, um, b like some of both, and the game looks pretty good for the most part when you're indoors. Um, like okay. if you're in an environment, it looks pretty good. If you are outdoors, even in docked mode, like outdoors in the more open yeah. world areas is where it is still fairly rough. Um, but yeah, like, uh, again, it's one of those things where you just, you just have to get you used to it. You just adjust to it. Like yeah. you're either like, okay with it or you're not. And I ended up being okay with it. Um, what, another thing that I say, it's a lot like a fallout game. It's a lot of like the, the things I like about a fallout game. One of the things that I liked about this that I didn't like so much about like fallout four, but your mileage is going to vary is um because it, like it has several planets that you go to and they are kind of like open areas and there's like two or three that are like fairly big but most of them are fairly small and i liked that like it made the game a lot more linear and i like sure. that versus fallout where i just don't have time to like really like put into that type of game and so or it's just rarely that I do. And so I liked with the outer worlds having to be really compartmentalized. And so I felt like, okay, I am like ready to move on, but I don't feel like I was like missing out. Yeah. Open worlds are tough and I don't think all of them are good. I think probably most of them aren't. Um, and uh, most open worlds are improved by uh, being smaller. Um, so to have like a handful of smaller open worlds, uh, that, that sounds perfect to me. Um, we look last week. We also talked a, a pretty good game about um, Bloodstained Two, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon Two. Um, but neither of us picked it up last week. <laughs> nope. Um, Mark, what do you have to say for yourself? What's your excuse? <laughs> I just didn't feel like it. I don't know what else to say. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit in the same boat, but also, um, I finally caved this last week and, uh, picked up The Last of Us Part 2 on the, uh, PlayStation 4. Um, obviously not a Nintendo game, so I'm not going to talk about it too much. Um, only to mention that, uh, I bought it because I was like, hey, Andrew, my buddy Andrew, who lives in Washington, D.C., I live in Los Angeles. We're very far away from each other. We used to live together. We don't anymore. We used to play video games together all the time. Now we don't. Now we can't. Um, uh, but I was like, Andrew, 
what if I get The Last of Us Part 2 and then I do a Twitch stream of it and we FaceTime while I'm Twitch streaming it and you watch that and we talk about it. And that's, you know, it's not for anyone. I didn't publicize it. Like, it's just a way for him to watch me play The Last of Us Part 2. We did that twice, and then we discovered that the PlayStation has a feature called Share Play. Are you familiar with Share Play on the PlayStation? No. Share Play on PlayStation is a feature that feels revolutionary to me, and I don't know why people aren't talking about it all the time. It is a feature that allows you to invite any of your friends and any number of your friends to watch you play a game. And if they have a microphone connected to their PlayStation or to their controller, you can hear them and they can hear you. That's awesome. Andrew can see my screen as I'm playing The Last of Us 2. He doesn't need to own the game. First of all, pretty incredible. Now, as long as I, the host, subscribe to PlayStation Plus, which I do, um, I can also hand the controller off to Andrew. So while he's watching on his PlayStation, he can remote in to my PlayStation 3,000 miles away and control my copy of The Last of Us Part 2. Wow. I had no idea. That is really, really, really cool. Yes. And you can use it to turn a game that only offers couch co-op into an online co-op experience. You can do... So... It's it's like it's sort of mind blowing and it's sort of thing that like um, that like I was playing that and then I was like, oh, man, uh, there's all there's so many switch games that I wish I could do that with you. Yeah. Right. Oh, my Where, gosh. And that would be huge. you're not three thousand miles away. <laughs> um, you're so much closer than that. But like in in a, a time when we can't uh, physically get with our friends, um, the PlayStation's share play feature uh, is just like it's just absolutely huge. It had me going through like the playstation store just to be like what games can i play with my friends like what single player experiences do we just want to like hang out on you know we were just talking about how like it's tough to uh find something like social to do or like engaging to do on the weekends uh you know we're pretty boring people as it is but then like uh the sort of like lockdown and an extended lockdown as uh california like shuts everything down again um it just has made it so hard to you know like engage and do stuff um and the playstation is offering uh, an amazing solution to that uh and uh, it just bums me out that nintendo will never get there they will never <laughs> well never never, never is there. a long time but sure, it doesn't seem true. like uh yeah that's awesome i had no idea that that was a thing that's so cool yeah so like we could do it if you ever turn on your playstation again <laughs> All right, so that's what we've been playing uh, this week. Let's get into the new releases and what we what we might be playing next week. Today, July fourteenth, Story of Seasons: Friends of Mineral Town is released for Switch. So this is a like remake of the Harvest Moon: Friends of Mineral Town from the Game Boy Advance, which was my first Harvest Moon game. Oh, I did not know that that was your first one. But I guess the downside to this is like generally, normally, like I have so many fond memories of Friends of Mineral Town that I'd be like, I'm going to pick this up for sure. But the problem is that I've played Stardew Valley between when I've played Friends of Mineral Town and now. Sure. And I think that like we've talked before. You've had how steak. Like, you can't go back to hamburger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like I think Stardew Valley is what I remember Friends of Mineral Town being. And I actually think it would be kind of disappointing to go back to Friends of Mineral Town. Uh, well, that's a bummer. It, it, it's, it's neat that it's, that it's there. Also, it's funny to me that the original developers of Harvest Moon, uh, can like re-release the game, but have to call it Story of Seasons. The relationship between those companies is very funny to me. (laughs) And I don't understand it. And then, uh, on Wednesday, July 15th, we get some new additions to the SNES and NES Switch Online libraries. Um, the big one, the one I'm super excited about is that Donkey Kong Country is being added to the SNES Switch Online. Yeah, and that's obviously a, a huge deal. That's a game that was notably absent from the lineup previously. Uh, I n- now no longer know how I am going to organize my SNES uh, <laughs> Switch Online catalog, um, but I, I'll figure out a way. Um, 
uh, it's it's a great game if you if you haven't played it before. Like, totally recommend. Um, we will be talking about this game at length for uh, Thursday's episode. We will be ranking the worlds from Donkey Kong Country, but that's just an excuse to talk too much about Donkey Kong Country. <laughs> and then also uh, coming to the SNES Switch Online is uh, Natsume Championship Wrestling, which is a game that I'm not really familiar with. Amazing. And then on the NES Switch Online, we're getting a, a game called The Immortal, which is actually a game that was published by Electronic Arts, but that uh, Nintendo is bringing to the NES Online. So this is how it's described. It says, grab your wizard's pack and let your quest unfold as you explore the labyrinth of eternity. Delve into the dungeon's depths to uncover the mysteries of the ancient ruins. Your teacher, Mortimer, awaits below uh it so this is originally an, an apple II game i believe that was then ported over to the switch um and in its or uh, into the to the nes <laughs> to the switch <laughs> um it now appears on switch uh it, it was uh, originally like a a hyper violent um like wizard game um and in porting it over to the nes they had to make a lot of like concessions mm-hmm. to make like you know the wizard's head can't explode because you can't show <laughs> blood and stuff like that um so uh yeah this is this is one that i've never actually played uh in either uh in either format either on apple or um on the nes uh i only know it by reputation uh so this is one that i'm totally going to like look up a walkthrough and then like uh play play along with it and then on friday july 17th paper mario mario the origami king is released for switch and this is a perfect candidate for share play it would be so good to just play this game with you mark and just like when we get bored we just start like talking about stuff or whatever yeah that would be how i would like to play this game but we'll just have to play it on our own (laughs) um Actually, uh, let's do a quick temperature check uh, on that. Uh, or no, maybe we should wait because there's uh, we've got a little bit of like context for it. Oh, in sure. News, yeah, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, great. Uh, well, that's those are the new releases. Uh, let's close this out. Now it's time for a regular segment on our show. It's time for 433. In 1952, American composer John Cage wrote a piece called 433, wherein a performer or group of performers didn't play their instruments for 4 minutes and 33 seconds. For the purposes of this show, our instruments are talking about Nintendo. So, for the duration of one performance of 433, Mark and I will talk about something not at all Nintendo-related, thus fulfilling the contract of the piece. Uh, Mark, we're going broad here. We're talking about uh, quarantine viewing. What sorts of things have we been watching while we are stuck in our homes? So I guess the one, I guess two things for me. So I have a real love of frothy mystery shows where like a um, a plucky woman detective be, like goes around solving mysteries like murder she wrote um totally like the mish fisher like detective stories or whatever it was called love it um we found one on pbs masterpiece which is like pbs is like six dollars a month uh like service yes called the frankie drake mysteries which is it's this it's a canadian tv show about this woman in the 1920s in toronto and her like her and her friends solving these mysteries. It's like, it's such perfect, like, just like tune in. You're just in for a good time. The mysteries aren't like that heavy. Like, yeah, it's murder, but it's like fun. It's great. I, I, I am so into those shows. If anybody has good recommendations, we are desperate for them. Definitely (laughs) send them to me. Uh, that, that's amazing. That's such a good, like, uh, I, I was going to say it's a deep genre, but I feel like there are only a couple, like you say, like more recommendations are needed. Yeah. It's really hard to find like good ones because it's such a tonal thing. And mm-hmm. there are ones that like try or the, they just don't like click for me for whatever reason. But when they do, you're like, I just want to consume so much of it. I mean, really, we've ta- I think we've talked about before how I wish all of Murder, She Wrote was available for streaming, but only the first five seasons are. And yes. I just haven't bought broken down and bought like the DVD set that has all twelve seasons, but I feel like it's inevitable. You know, uh, regular guest Ryan Mogi has the complete uh, box set of DVDs of Murder She Wrote. I do. Uh, yes, it, it's a it's a handsome volume. I don't know if you've ever seen it before. It looks wonderful. 
Yeah, I've I've been watching a lot of Sarah and I have been uh, watching some older movies. We subscribe to uh, HBO Max by virtue of the fact that we were already subscribing to HBO Now or Go or whatever it's called. Um, so you know that is uh, merged with uh, Turner Classic Movies. Um, so there are a lot of those um, on there. So we watched um, uh, we watched Singing in the Rain. We watched. Um, Rebel Without a Cause. We watched Casablanca. This weekend, we watched The Blob. Um, and uh, The Blob is slow and terrible and features a, a, a Steve McQueen who is way too old to be playing a teenager. <laughs> but there he is. Uh, and The Blob appears in maybe two minutes of this movie total. Um, it, it, I, I did not enjoy my experience with The Blob. Um, my favorite of, the, of these uh, movies that we watched is uh, Casablanca. Uh, which I had never seen before, Mark, if you can believe that. Um, I can believe it. There I, are a lot of movies in the world. There, Yes, thank you. There are so many movies in the world, um, and I've seen a lot of bad ones. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> Casablanca's great. Um, like, everyone's great in it, and it's super good. We also watch A Streetcar Named Desire, which is also uh, really good and, like, sexy and scary and um, just awesome. Everyone's good in that. Um, yeah, so you know, a, a lot of just like revisiting like American classic film, um, and sort of like uh filling in filling in some holes, um, but also you know I've I have seen a lot of those uh movies before, so some of it's just like you gotta, you know, you have to be reminded. Like, when's the last time I watched Streetcar Named Desire? Twenty years ago? Yeah, totally. I always um, I always kind of feel like with the old movies, I uh, the same where it's like okay, I could watch a movie i've seen before even if it was like 20 years ago and i would have a totally different experience with it now or i could watch something new and it's always hard to like want to go back but it's usually very rewarding um okay so there was no applause on the uh video of uh 433 performance that we heard right now but that's it we will no longer know what else we've been watching um uh during quarantine here we were accompanied today by the music team um and i'm not quite sure what music is but they did put up a new video of people remotely playing 433 <laughs> uh from april of this year so uh, it's a, a quarantine uh 433 all right mark let's get into the news so last week we saw the return of nintendo treehouse live um treehouse live of course was something that usually would happen after during e3 after nintendo's e3 presentation they would go right into the first day of streaming members from like nintendo's uh, nintendo treehouse and uh, other developers would stop by to show off games and talk about them of course, there was no E3 this year, so we didn't get a, a Treehouse live stream, but they brought one back to talk about Paper Mario the Origami King last week, and uh, it was three Nintendo of America staffers streaming the game remotely and then talking and like showing off new features of the game. Yeah, did you get a chance to uh, check any of this out? Yeah, I watched it after... Uh, it, I wasn't able to watch it live, but I watched it after the fact, or some of it. I put it on... And I found it a little bit boring, honestly. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I my patience for watching like the original, the uh, the uh, even in person um, Treehouse Lives uh, is pretty thin, because um, it's like a it's like a really like dumbed down instructional video of how to play a video game. Um, and in a lot of ways, I'm like, yes, I know how a video game works. Like just skip ahead to cool parts in this game and show me what's going to be cool about this game. Um, but you know, uh, they, they, they were showing off parts of, uh, the origami King, um, paper Mario. Um, the part that I saw most of was the, um, the battle with the color pencil boss. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I can already tell that I think I'm going to be exhausted by Paper Mario, uh, the Origami King. It seems like all of the fights are a little too fiddly, um, and I'm not going to want to be engaged in every fight like that. Um, I don't know what... There's a weird balance in uh, ro- turn-based role-playing games where 
at some point I do just want to like turn my brain off and like grind away and level up uh, and not really have to think about how I'm arranging things or choosing attacks. Um, but it seems like there's no such thing as that in this. Yeah, it, it's interesting. The battle system to me doesn't seem, I don't know. I guess the kind of, I would say that I'm lukewarm on Origami King right now and I'm kind of waiting to see what the reviews are like. Um, like watching the Treehouse live, there wasn't really anything that, it didn't show particularly well to me. Like there wasn't anything that really like grabbed me as that interesting or exciting. The battle system doesn't seem that interesting to me. So I, I don't know. I've definitely gone from like really excited for this when it was revealed to a little bit more like wait and see. Uh, the, there were early impressions this week, or sorry, last week, and they were all like, for the most part, like fairly positive, um, or the ones that I saw, anyways. So it seems I I don't know. It's just like a really interesting game. I I I just don't know how I feel about it. Yeah, sure. Well, and that so that that was going to be my question earlier was let's do a little bit of a temperature check and just see like where we are. Uh, do you think that you will be buying the Origami King when it comes out on Friday, or are you still like waiting for a review? I'm waiting for reviews. I'm waiting to kind of see how uh where it like comes down. I I think I will end up picking it up um to check it out. Like I have enjoyed what I've played of like other Paper Mario games, but you know, it's been since Super Paper Mario on the Wii that I've actually played one. So, yeah. you know, the series I think has changed a lot since then. And yeah, it, I uh but I think I will end up picking it up. How about you? Uh I think I will, but I've got to finish The Last of Us first. Mm-hmm. Um uh right now, you know, if there is a uh like big story based game that I want to like see the next thing happen in, uh right now it's The Last of Us Part Two. Um and you know, that feels just like a little bit uh heavier, a little bit more propulsive than whatever's happening in Paper Mario. Uh so uh once once that plays out, I probably will uh probably will pick it up. Um I you know, I, I enjoyed Color Splash well enough. Uh and I think this is going to be uh maybe better than Color Splash, but very much like in the same vein um as that game, which is to say that like It'll be a fun, funny, cute experience, um, but probably little more than that. Can I reveal myself to be a Philistine and say that I actually feel like the Origami King looks too good? Like, I don't love the graphics. Mm, okay, so wait, what do you, what like do you the, mean by like, it looks like too good? Some of like, the like, hyper-realism stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mashed up against like the more just like basic and cutesy like um Mario aesthetic, like in my yeah. head. And again, this is my baggage. I think like I, when I think of Paper Mario, I think of it just kind of like that lower res, more like cartoony type of look. And so to have it contrasted with like the hyper realism of some of it, like it just doesn't really mesh for me, at least from what I've seen of it. So here's. Uh, I, I I sort of agree with that. I, I think it's funny usually uh, when they contrast the uh, the Paper Mario with like the hyper realism. Uh, and I think it won't happen as much as uh, like it might otherwise. Like I think they will largely hold that sort of thing for boss fights mm-hmm. um, ag- against like those real world objects, against the tape dispenser, against the uh, color pencil set. Um, and everything else will be you know, uh, paper things in a paper world, uh, or at least that's that's how it went in uh, Color Splash, which also had uh, that you use the like real world objects as like summons, where you could like uh, summon a blender or like a, a fan or a lemon, um, and these were like just like an actual lemon is just in the game. Um, and it, it, it was always funny when it happened uh, and not something that you're just supposed to like accept as part of gotcha. the world. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and then also they, during Treehouse Live, they revealed a new game from Way Forward. It's uh, Bakugan Champions of Vestroya, uh, which is coming November 3rd, published by Warner Brothers. And this is a, uh, like, seems to be a really popular, like, um, car- children's cartoon and toy line and card game also but it's something that i was totally unfamiliar with um before this reveal 
Yeah, for me, Bakugan has always just been like a a name of something that I get confused with the other things that sound just like it. Uh, it's not Digimon. Uh, it's definitely not Pokemon. Uh, but it's just one of those things that we're like, I don't know. Are the are the monsters cards? Uh, is it a cartoon? You know what? <laughs> what what is it? I'm too old for it. I yeah, think. yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we're totally outside of like the target audience age range. For it seems like the game itself is really full featured. Um, you know, it's gonna let you build your own team. It's like an action RPG. It's an original story that expands on the TV series. Um, the you can like level up your Bakugans. Um, there's like a big like RPG world, over a hundred quests, different types of Bakugans. Um, online, online head-to-head multiplayer. So it seems like a big game. Um, just in a like for a series that I just am completely unfamiliar with. Uh, we got an email from Jason. You can always write into us. Uh, anyone, not just Jason, but anyone can write into us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail dot com. And we'll do our best to answer your question. Jason writes in and says, hey, guys, uh, I will ask the question everyone is thinking, but is too scared to ask. Who is your favorite Bakugan? <laughs> Gotta be Leonidas, probably. <laughs> yeah, oh, uh, 100%. Like, Leonidas is totally my favorite Bakugan. Uh, yeah, so uh, this is, uh, you know, a, a, a total blind spot for us. We don't... Uh, we don't know uh, anything about Bakugan. And I will tell you, um, this was the fastest I think the like Nintendo online community went from like being excited about the potential of an announcement to not being uh, negative about it, but just being like, <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> like, it was the weirdest because I'm very used to Nintendo fans uh, hyping themselves up. Uh, and then having something revealed that they don't want and then being mad about it. Uh, and this, it was like a the the day that the treehouse live was announced was the the day before it actually happened uh, and there was like a uh, a little bit in the tweet there that was like also way forward is going to reveal a new game um and then like another tweet after it that was like the game is the oh yeah the way they handled Nintendo it was franchise. so like cuz in in the original tweet they it was like yeah like and way forward's going to announce like a a, a new game in a in a like franchise or whatever that they've never worked in before and then, yes. like, t- like a few minutes later, this follow-up tweet where you know somebody was hitting the panic button and being like, oh, no. Be- Manage expectations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to say this is not – it's not a Nintendo franchise. It's a third-party franchise, uh, which is good because, like, the, uh, the next day when, um, you know, I, I was watching uh, the – the the treehouse live um you know i started watching like maybe 25 minutes into it and they were still talking about paper mario and i was like oh, all right this is sweet i'm gonna see this um this new way forward thing and uh, they they're like it's bakugan and like there were some developers from um way forward there and i was like okay and i turned it off because i was like i don't this is this yeah. isn't for me um and i think i think everyone just did that <laughs> i think everyone was like oh i get it click I'm going to do something else, uh, which is a, a a refreshing reaction to see. Yeah, I completely agree. I also think it's like, I find it really fascinating that they chose this forum to announce like this game. Um, I, Yeah, it like. Yeah, it I, does I, seem weird, right? Like, I feel like WayForward has like a fine relationship with Nintendo, but it's not like. I'm trying to think like if they've collaborated closely in the past and um, it's coming from Warner Brothers games in like a franchise that isn't like Nintendo associated. I don't know. Like I just thought it was super interesting that they got this like platform to reveal this game. Yeah. I wonder if it has anything to do with um, just like the state that Warner Brothers games is in right now. Um, because like there's sort of two things happening with uh, with those game studios uh, collectively. One thing is that a lot of them are sort of like uh, are due to announce or like way past due mm-hmm. to announce uh, new games. Um, but also uh, Warner Brothers may be selling uh, all of their game studios uh, anyway. So like it seems like there are a lot of like high quality studios that either have something to sell or are going to be sold. Um, so I wonder if like they had this one thing ready to go and like Warner Brothers games is in no position to be like uh, showcasing software. And they were like, 
partner with Nintendo, great, partner with Nintendo. Yeah, totally. And like maybe there were some like outstanding agreements from like E3 or sure. Um, the, you know, there are rumors that there's going to be a Nintendo Direct in the next couple of weeks. I mean, that is an evergreen rumor, but um, <laughs> the uh, so you know, like yeah, like why didn't it show up there? Maybe the focus of that, if it is happening, got like changed or whatever. Um, but yeah, it just seems even interesting just, to have it like tacked yeah. on. Even if it's just a, a couple weeks down the road, like that could still be like too late to make the marketing beat work the way it's supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, it, but for me, like, uh, the Nintendo Treehouse Lives, I agree with you that like, I never really watched them intently. It was something that I always loved having on in the background while E3 was totally. happening. Um, and just like occasionally, you know, like your attention is drawn to it. And so the fact that Treehouse Live lives um, in a like post E3 world or in uh, a world where there was no E3 this year was a lot of fun. I, I like that. Treehouse Live is such an interesting like idea um, because like obviously like the Nintendo Treehouse features, you know, a, a lot of people who are, um, you know, playing games all the time playing nintendo games all the time and it makes me wonder why like if they have that resource that they're not trying to like develop i mean i guess they have chris and krista um but like you know it a a sort of like let's play formula is so much more compelling when like the personalities are known and the personalities themselves are like bankable or connected to Nintendo in some way. Um, and it's just weird that they don't really, uh, that that's not something that it seems like they're, they're building towards. Yeah, I know. I, with a lot of stuff with Nintendo, I, who knows what the reason is or if it's even on their radar, but a lot of stuff with Nintendo, I just remind myself that like they are comparatively a small company and so even if they have, like, ambitions to do that stuff, they maybe just don't have, like, the time or resources. Also, I'm not really sure that Nintendo needs to do that kind of stuff because idiots like you and me are doing it for them <laughs> for free. <laughs> uh, like, there's no shortage of, like, big Nintendo personalities on uh, Twitch and on uh, YouTube and obviously, like, in podcasts and stuff um, that are, you know, hyping up Nintendo stuff and, like, you know, when when a new, uh, you know, when Donkey Kong Country is about to be released on the SNES Switch Online, that they're going to be podcasts and shows totally about the crazy. game. Totally crazy. They don't crazy. need to do it. We do it for them. <laughs> <laughs> Although, if Nintendo is listening and they would like to hire Mark and I to do that for them, uh, we would be happy to oblige. I would love to sell out. Oh my gosh, that'd be the dream. Oh, Mark, let's do it. <laughs> uh, Limited Run Games had an online event last week. Lots of previously digital-only releases have been announced to receive physical versions in the future. Um, the list includes The Return of the Obra Dinn, K- Katana Zero, Grandia HD Collection, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon 2, Mighty Gunvolt Burst, the Castlevania Anniversary Collection, Way Forward's <laughs> Extreme. So Way Forward has two games that are actually, it's really cool. So they're both Game uh, Boy Color games, Extreme Sports, and then um, the Shantae or Shanty, Shantae. I make that mistake Shantae, every right. time. Um, they were both originally released on the Game Boy Color. They are getting releases on Switch, but they are also getting uh, physical releases on the Game Boy Color again, which is really cool. Nintendo, Nintendo. Look, there's one more. It's the Mummy Demastered. Oh yeah, but the Nintendo M- Mummy Demastered. You gotta start putting Game Boy Color games on the Switch as part of like the Switch Online. It is ridiculous that someone would be selling a Game Boy Color game on the <laughs> Switch in 2020. That's obscene. <laughs> um, if you're interested in any of these, uh, you know the Limited Run Games is true to their name, so I would check out their website to see when the games are going. Um, up for pre-order. I think it's so cool the limited run games and other companies like that exist and that like so many different companies and publishers are willing to work with them. Like there's stuff from Konami on here, some stuff from yeah. Way Forward, some stuff from um, you know, like indie developers. It's just like I I as right as you are that like it's crazy that people are putting Game Boy Color games on the Switch. I, I love yes. that we live in a time when like uh Game Boy Color carts are being printed and SNES sure. carts are being printed and that people have like, you know, there um did did that like Game Boy 
uh, um, system from the same people who did like the uh, yeah the uh, super antique. The, like, did that ever re- has that released yet? But like, I love that stuff like that exists. Handheld. Yeah. Um. So wait, I, I guess maybe I, I need clarification here. Um. Way forwards, extreme sports, and the Shantae. Those are actual Game Boy Color cartridges. So yeah. So they. But but in Got addition it. to be so. They are getting released on Switch, but they are also printing new Game Boy cartridges, Game Boy Color cartridges of those two games. That's amazing. Um, I is is there one on here that seen that like uh w- is an interesting buy to you or that like you liked enough or think is like a would be a good fun physical product? Um, I really really liked Katana Zero. I had a ton of fun with that game. I'm looking forward to whenever the DLC releases. Um, to me, maybe that one in like the Castlevania Anniversary Collection. That one is such yeah, like that's a museum. My answer. That feels like a good one to have. Yeah, a good one to have, but also a good one to gift. Uh, the Castlevania uh, Anniversary Collection has what eight, nine games in it. Um, and like three of them are fun. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> and two of them are Game Boy games. Um, it, it would be a great gift, I think, of like here's a, a collection of weird old vampire games um, to give to someone, and then they can treasure it for always. Last week, a copy of Super Mario Brothers for the NES sold for a record-breaking $114,000, making it the single most expensive video game ever sold. The game was new in box, sealed in plastic, and rated 9.4 out of 10 by, I'm assuming by like the, um, the house that auctioned it off, but, or maybe that's an IGN rating, but none of that accounts for a price... <laughs> No, IGN is just doing uh, full round numbers now. So that oh, that's right. That's right. I 10. forgot. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, all of that is, like, great, but it still doesn't account for, like, why it went for so much money. But, Patrick, do you want to explain, like, why it ended up costing so much? So, I'm not going to explain so much as I am going to read a quote from uh, the auction site uh, Heritage Auction, which explains uh, that it is of the hang tab variety. Um, so, uh, let me read uh, their, their statement here. Uh, What's the deal with cardboard hang tabs? One may one, uh, reasonably wonder. Uh, cardboard hang tabs were originally used in the U.S. test market copies of black box games before, uh, back before plastic was used to seal each game. As Nintendo began to further establish their company in the U.S., their packaging was updated almost continuously. Strangely, the addition of plastic wrap came before the cutting before the box cutting die was altered to remove the cardboard hang tab. So the cardboard hang tab would be the thing that like you had on the back of it to like put it on a store so instead of being on a shelf oh. it's like hanging on that like little hook thing um uh, the the uh, their explanation goes on. Uh, there are four sub variants of the plastic sealed cardboard hang tab box. This particular copy of Super Mario Brothers being the third code, uh, the the three code variant uh, that were produced within the span of uh, of one year. Each sub variant of the cardboard hang tab black box produced within that time frame had a production period of just a few months, a drop in the bucket compared to the title's overall production run. In short, a cardboard hang tab copy of an early Nintendo. Nintendo Entertainment System game brings a certain air of vintage unrivaled by its successors. So Nintendo's history is uh, long and weird and messy. And this is from a very specific sliver of that when the box still had the hang tab, but they were wrapping them in plastic. That is so, that's so interesting. Um, yeah. And for for those of you, for listeners who may not know, so black box games were um, when the NES first came out. All of Nintendo's first party releases were in the same sort of packaging. Like all the boxes looked very similar. They were black boxes. Um, they had like the n- name of the game and some uh, like pixel art on it. And I think the reason Nintendo like chose to do that is because you know they were reintroducing kind of a video game console to the U.S. after. Uh, the video game crash. And so what they wanted to, part of what they wanted to do with their marketing was like show pixel art to be like, this is actually what the game looks like. Uh, so mm-hmm. you, so consumers felt like they knew what they were buying and eventually they yeah, got it, away from that. But like when they started all of those mm-hmm. first releases, I think there were like 30 of them were all in this same, like very identical type of uh, packaging. 
Yeah, well, and like if you go back and look at a lot of the way uh, games were uh, advertised or sold, marketed really in uh, like the the middle of the eighties, um, like there are a lot of you know almost like D and D esque uh, like paintings of what an artist imagined the game to be like trying to portray, um, and so there's you know just a lot of box art that looks nothing like uh, what's actually appealing or fun or uh, charming about about the game itself like um you know i i remember the uh the mega man the early mega man box art for the the first mega man uh and two and three all had terrible box art but in particular mega man one it's this this insane drawing of like a a man wearing like uh yellow and blue armor and like holding a gun it's so (laughs) weird (laughs) uh lego lego and nintendo are uh, look like they're going to be continuing their collaboration. So we already had the Lego like Super Mario set, which um, we've talked about before on the show. And yesterday, um, a new set looked to be like leaked online, and it looks to be a Lego NES set. So the Nintendo Entertainment System. Um, a few hours later, the official Lego Twitter account started to tease it. So it's possible we'll be seeing a reveal soon. The art or like the the photograph that we was leaked online of it, there were a couple of them and it looks really cool. It's like a Lego, like NES that you would put together, a cartridge that you would put together, and then like a TV set with um like pixel art that you would all put together that looks like it's from Super Mario Brothers. Which I, I get uh, wanting to have something that, uh, you know, this is just like the uh, the box art thing that we were talking about, something that uh, looks like the games looked on screen, but it's weird that there's like a TV component, like <laughs> I, for, for whatever reason that that that's weird to me when there's no uh, when there's no controller, like there's another like piece of iconic, um, you know, Nintendo uh, shape like thing that you could build and it's just not part of the set. Yeah, yeah. And it looks like, so I've never really been a Lego person myself, but this one looks really cool. Like if somebody put it together for me, I would be super <laughs> into it. It's like 2,300 pieces, allegedly. Um, the leaked wow. price was like 230 euro. Uh, and supposedly like the leaked release date was like August 1st. So I think we'll be hearing about this probably like by the time this episode is released or shortly thereafter it'll get an official announcement august 1st is super soon uh to start like shipping things to uh like retail locations well i mean who knows if like again it was leaked in the leaked price was in euros so maybe we'll see it in the u.s when we see it you know what i mean yeah fair enough uh the did you know game youtube channel which Guys, I've got to be honest. So somebody tell me because I feel like anytime with like YouTube or talking about people on Twitter or anything, it's like this people involved may be horrible. Like this might be like a horrible channel. I have no way sure. of knowing. Um, so I'm not endorsing it. But like the Did You Know Gaming YouTube channel released a video last week all about the different localizations of Pokemon Red and Blue. And uh, the video, they talk to, like, different localizers in the different regions. But the video also, like, uh, includes a quote from Pokemon Company CEO uh, uh, Sunekuza Ishihara saying, quote, The first time we showed off some Pokemon in the U.S., we were told they were too cute. The staff in America submitted their ideas for replacement designs, but we just couldn't believe the kind of stuff they were proposing. They turned Pikachu into something like a tiger with huge breasts. It looked like a character from the musical Cats. When I asked, how is this supposed to be Pikachu? They said, well, look, there, there's its tail right there. Seriously, that was the kind of stuff being proposed. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Putting the American localizers on blast. Um, I don't know. It sounds like a good change to me. Let's see it. <laughs> I want to see this busty tiger. I love it. I love it. Most of the video like is um about like the localization choices and it's really interesting cuz they're they're very transparent about like yeah like look localization is is it's not a science, you know, like a, a localizer's personal tastes and interests are going to influence like the localization. They talk about the localization for the US market and you know how like um the, the per, like music or movies that people liked like and 
you know, references make it into it. And it's not like those are like purposely like canonical choices that the Pokemon company was like, right. yeah, let's have a Pat Benatar reference here. Um, yeah, I always I always think it's really interesting how um, like Pokemon in particular, um, how many of the names are like weird little puns or follow in like interesting patterns. Uh, like I, I, I always think about the um, the legendary birds in red and blue Arctic Uno. Zapdos and Moltres, um, like those. It's that's one, two, three in Spanish. Like ends the the names of those <laughs> birds, um, and you know, like someone was just like, oh, I don't know, I, that sounds neat. like I'm I'm sure the the birds aren't actually named one, two, three, um, in in Japanese, but like you know, that's that's how they that's how they saw what was going on, and that's what they decided uh, the names of the birds should be. And I, I think it's also interesting, like, in, I, I would guess that now the localizations for Pokemon games are a lot more regimented, but, you know, back then, especially Gen 1, nobody had any idea that it was going to be a huge hit. So I'm sure yeah. there was, like, a way more, like, leniency in what, how you were localizing things, because it was like, okay, sure, whatever. One of the things they brought up where the Nintendo did draw the line, though, is um, in the U.S., the localizer like tried to introduce a joke where an NPC's Spiro is named Brit. He wanted the Spiro to have the nickname Brittany, so it'd be like Brittany Spiro. Um, sure. And Nintendo was like, "No, <laughs> like you, like you cannot." They don't want to get sued. <laughs> um, the whole video is like 15 minutes long. I thought it was super fun, um, worth checking out. Hopefully, they're not like uh, white nationalists or something. I mean, on YouTube, it seemed like they probably are. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Um, finally, Nintendo shared a blog post in Japan with some stats about Clubhouse games, 51 worldwide classics. Um, some of these I thought... I, what? Okay, so I'm not going to list all of them, but they have total playtime. Uh, Mahjong Solitaire is the number one game worldwide with over 400,000 hours played. Uh, I've probably contributed two hours to that. <laughs> but what I thought was really f like uh six ball puzzle um, is totally like the overall champion. It's the most played game worldwide played over 14 uh, million times. Uh, it's the most played with friends online. It's the most played online without friends. Um, people really like six ball puzzle. Uh, look, Six Ball Puzzle is amazing. Six Ball Puzzle could almost be its own package game on like the, uh, you know, uh, Game Boy or something. Um, like it, it is it is basically a falling block uh, style competitive uh, game like head to head where you are trying to form, uh, you know, uh, little he hexagons or um, pyramids or diagonal lines to like send uh, garbage over to your opponent and knock them out. Um, it's a surprisingly addictive game. I forgot that it was part of uh, Clubhouse Games, and now I'm going to turn on my copy of Clubhouse <laughs> Games. Um, anything else in here uh, surprise you? I, I was interested to see how much um, Hanafuda showed up, um, just because, like, uh, I don't know, you never hear, like, anyone uh, talking about Hanafuda. I wonder if that's just, like, a they know that that's what Nintendo does or did. Uh, and so, like, people are playing it for that reason. Yeah, yeah, I know. That kind of surprised me. That surprised me, too. Um, I also think it's interesting that, like, the shortest average playtime is toy boxing, team tanks, and slot cars. Team toy boxing and slot cars, like, not a surprise to me that yeah. those are ones where people are, like, turning them on and, like, all right, yeah, I get this. Like, oh, okay, I see what this not is. Not trying to ever do this again. again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Team Tanks too. Um, uh, there are three maps in Team Tanks, um, and the first two are really easy, and the last one's like sort of difficult. Um, so uh, you know, it when uh, Sarah and I were playing this more regularly, um, we turned it on, we played through, and you know, it was s six minutes, and we were done with the whole thing. We we're like, okay, uh, you want to play Moncala again? <laughs> Let's get out of the news. 
All right, that is going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Um, if you would like to uh, get in on our ranking of the Donkey Kong Country uh, worlds, um, you should email us uh, like today or tomorrow, um, either Tuesday or Wednesday, because we are going to be talking about it on a Wednesday. Uh, Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. Gmail. Um, but uh, you don't have to do that. You can also just listen to us uh, as we yell about Donkey Kong. Um, uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you like the episode, please share it on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you share stuff. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at Nincart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Apebetty. You can get more of his music by going to apebetty.com or by listening right now. From my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Ellers and a Busty Tiger saying thank you for listening. Hey, Rachel, Oscar. Yeah, Claire? Claire? Do you love Disney movies? Uh Uh-huh. Have you seen them all? Not all of them. What do you guys think if we watch them all in chronological order and then talk about them? Ooh. Oh, and what if we could talk about it with some of our favorite friends? (gasps) I love that. Yeah, what if we do it inside the Disney Vault? You know, that's the name of our podcast, Inside the Disney Vault on Campfire Media. Yeah, check us out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to yours. That's Inside the Disney Vault. Let's go. Campfire.